I want to, before we begin and really dig in, I want to first take a moment to pray for um, Matt Simodi and Ali Simodi, who are in, and Jocelyn Heath, who are in Nicaragua right now. It was, it was really, it was really neat how the Lord worked this out. Ryan and Jocelyn, if you don't know, Ryan and Jocelyn Heath are in the process of adopting three brothers from Nicaragua, three orphan brothers from Nicaragua. And um, they've been in this, it's about a, been a, about a two-year process. And they just have been approved by the Nicaraguan government to become legal foster parents to the children. They'll need to do that for a, a period of a month or two months. And then the government will issue them full rights as parents to the children. But in the meantime, Jocelyn is down, Ryan is back, is at home working and Jocelyn is down there right now with, with, the, with the boys. And so Matt and Ali Simodi were planning on going to do like a, an out west wild, you know, wild vacation and see all the, the national parks and drive around and to spend a, a, you know, a couple weeks doing that. And so I had went to Matt and Allie about a week ago and I said, Matt and Allie, look. I know you've got this vacation planned. I know you've been talking about this for a long time. I know you would have a great time. However, Ryan and Jocelyn could use the support and care of the church. And would you please be willing to forget the vacation and instead go to Nicaragua and serve Ryan and Jocelyn and the boys and the orphanage down there? And he said, you know what, let me, let, let me get a chance to talk about it. Um, and the next day, he's like, yeah, we bought the plane tickets. We're on our way. We'll be leaving in a couple days. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. And so they're down there right now, serving the family, serving the boys, working in the orphanage, caring for them. And so that is an evidence of the grace of God in our midst, that we would be able to say, look, you forget your vacation. I want you to take that money instead and buy a plane ticket down to serve in an orphanage for 10 days. Okay, great. When do you want us to go? And they went and left, and they're down there right now. They left on Wednesday. And so we're just going to pray right now for them and for Jocelyn and the boys. And we're just going to ask the Lord to continue to speed this process along, continue to give them favor with the government, and ask that the Lord would, would do a, a, just a, a mighty work in this. So, Lord, thank you for the evidence of your work in our midst. Thank you for Ryan and Jocelyn being an example to all of us, what it means to lay our lives down for others. And I ask that you would continue for your provision for their lives and their children. We ask for your protection for the boys. We ask as well for um, favor with the government and the judge and and the, the orphanage down there, God. We thank you for Matt and Allie. Thank you for their sacrifice and for, for so quickly laying down their vacation and money to, to go serve. And I pray that you would bless them, protect them. Let that be an example to all of us. Let us celebrate your goodness in our midst. Pray these boys would come back home quickly. You would knit their hearts together with Ryan and Joslyn's as a family. Lord, we thank you as well for just the time we have today in the Word. Pray that you would speak to us and and really help us to understand the things that you are saying to us. 
And Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you want to turn to Ephesians 5. This week we'll be in Ephesians 5. We'll be in verses 15 to verse 21. Next week, Todd Casenza will be here. And he'll be sharing with us some element of relationships, whether it be with husbands and wives, with um, children and parents. And so he'll be working with one of those things. And then that, that week I'll be gone. So I won't be here next week. I'll be on vacation. So I'll miss you all. But uh, we're going to take a, vaca- a family vacation next, next week. And so um, praise be the Lord that we have an opportunity to do that. And uh, after that, my Auntie Donna, Donna Katinsky's um, boyfriend or, um, what's that? Suter. Suter um, will be, he's a pastor in Pennsylvania. He'll be here. He'll be sharing with us from uh, the whole Armor of God section of Ephesians 6 the week after that. And then the week after that, we'll be starting our Holy Spirit series. The person and work of the Holy Spirit. What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? What's the role? What's... The, What does the Holy Spirit do? But today we're going to look at a section of Scripture that addresses the Holy Spirit. And so this week's topic or this week's um, the title of the sermon, you could say, would be walking, filling and overflowing. So walking, filling, overflowing. And we'll be looking at Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. So let's let's read those now. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here we have Paul from the very beginning talking about walking you know, this, you would think Paul is trying to kickstart some new, like, um, fitness regime here with the Ephesians church. All the talking he does about walking. I just want to run through a few of these quickly and look at what he talks about walking in this passage. But earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 2, he says, You are dead in the sins and trespasses in which you once walked. In Ephesians two ten, he says, we are God's workmanship created for good works that we should walk in them. 4 verse 1 says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 4.17 says, no longer walk in the futility of your thinking. 5 verse 2 says, walk in love. 5 verse 8 says, walk as children of light. And now in 5 verse 15, he says, look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So there's a way in which we walk that is walking in wisdom. There's a way in which we walk, he says, that is unwise. But there's a way in which we walk that is walking in wisdom. He says, make the best use of time. 
This word in the Greek, the language that the Bible is originally written in, there's different words for time. And in this instance, the word that he uses for time is not the kind of time that would mean a lifetime or a longer period of time. He's not trying to communicate to us in this passage, hey, you need to walk wisely for a lifetime, although he would affirm that and we'd say, yes, that is important. In this instance, he's saying the word for time is a a specific moment in time. So he says, look, walk wisely, making the best use of the time in specific moments of time. And we think about Christ Jesus, how how he lived his life, taking every moment of time, using it to walk in obedience to the Father. He used every moment of time. Wasn't just some general walking in obedience that he did do, but Jesus used every moment of time for the glory of God. And now we, as his children, are dependent upon God for strength to take every moment of time to use for his glory. As we think about that, if you think about every moment of time that we would, we would walk in wisdom, it is, it is an unsurmountable task to do on our own. This takes the power of Almighty God filling us to do this because we can't do it on our own. It is impossible. This is an impossible task. And he says, make the best use of the time. This also means this word is a word that means to buy back or redeem. We're to buy back and redeem the time. Every moment, we're to buy back and redeem for the Lord. And our hope for us is not that when we think about time and the moments that God gives us, it's not, our hope is not in the fact that we can someday retire down to Miami and move down where LeBron is at and play canasta and just kind of take it easy for the rest of our lives. That's not our hope. Our hope is not in the fact that we can hopefully do that and watch the Heat collect championship trophies, right? We have multiple opportunities, hundreds and thousands of opportunities every day that God gives us and then empowers us to seize every moment. Just this past week, I was driving down the road and there, it, was, it was kind of drizzling and this guy was walking down the road and as I walked past him, I felt like the Lord would said, hey, pick this guy up and give him a ride. And I, I blew right past the guy. I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta get to work and the guy's soaking wet. He's getting my car wet and who knows where, what if he's going somewhere really far away. You know, I can't take it. So I drove past him. I felt the Lord say, go back and pick this guy up. So I turned around and went back, picked the guy up and he said, hey, I'm going to the library. He's like, two blocks away or whatever from the library. So I'm like, okay, I'll take you to the library. You know, and, um, and I felt like the Lord in his kindness allowed me to go back and pick him up. But I think, how often have I heard that and just kept right on driving? I do that all the time. I feel like the Lord encouraging me to say, look, man, every moment you have an opportunity to walk in wisdom in the Lord and redeem for the Lord by his power and strength. And on the other side of the redeeming time is in wasting time, choosing to not redeem the time. Let me ask you this. If you think about when you have 15 minutes of free time, when you have 15 minutes to kill and there's nothing to do, you don't have to leave for 15 minutes, but you're ready to go, what do you fill your time with? What is it that that 15 minutes is filled with? 
Is it 15 minutes of Facebook? Is it 15 minutes of TV? Not that, not that Facebook is bad or TV is bad, but that what are we, are we using our time to redeem for the Lord? And you know what? Because Jesus has redeemed the time, because he has given himself for us and has filled us with himself, we can redeem the time by the power of God living inside of us. He says, why do we redeem the time? Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. He says, look, time is short. Time is short. We don't have an endless supply of time to eventually we'll get to it. The temptation for me when I think about my time is I can, I can be busy all day long, but my busyness does not equate to redeeming the time or doesn't equate to me being fruitful and walking in wisdom with the Lord. I mean, how often have we gone through a day where we've been so busy and have accomplished very little and have not redeemed the time? And I think that's, that's that way for me a lot. But there is an urgency about our lives. There is an urgency about which we live our lives in reality of, of Almighty God and His call in our lives to live for Him. And that we are empowered by Him to do this. And He's not saying, hey, look, you've got endless time. It's not like painting the garage where you just can eventually get to that someday. He says there is, a, there is an urgency about which we live our lives as Christians. Realizing that every moment is a moment that is a gift from God to us to use for Him. I was talking with a guy this week who was involved, who was a part of another church, a bigger church. And when they first joined the church, they said, we wanted to get involved in small groups because we realized that a part of a bigger church, you can't necessarily become a part of the community quickly and easily. It really takes being intentional about your participation in small groups to get to know people. But I said, you know what? One week turned into two weeks, turned into a month, turned into six months. And we eventually did get involved in a small group, but we just kind of fought our way through for the first six months. And I think, man, we need to be people who are redeeming the time. It's not something we'll get to later. Think about sharing Christ with your friends. Maybe getting involved in a life share group. These are not things that we just kind of get to later. It really takes us by the power of God saying, yes, Lord, we'll do this. And he goes on to say this, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there is a way in which we walk with direction, the will of the Lord for our lives. It's direction for our lives. And what is the will of the Lord? I believe he's tying together all the things he's spoken about in the verses preceding this. But also when you look at in verse 18 of chapter 5, he says, this is what the will of the Lord is. And this is what we're going to spend most of our time this morning. In verse 18, he says, Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I want to just bring four points to our attention about this specific verse. The way that it was written in the original language had certain tones and emphasis on it, and so I want to bring that to our attention. So four points about this verse before we really dig into it. This verse is written in an imperative form, okay? It's a command to be obeyed. So be filled with the Spirit is not one of those, hey, take it or leave it. Maybe if you're kind of into that thing, you can do that. But if not, no big deal. It's on the same level as, hey, 
Don't let falsehood be on your lips, but instead tell the truth. We have, we have just as much option to obey that one as we do this one. They're both the same. So if we believe, hey, I need to tell the truth, that's the word of God to me. As we read this, we need to understand this verse in this context in the same way. Be filled with the Spirit is a command. It's an imperative. It's not optional. But it's also written in the plural form. When we think about being filled with the Spirit, we can have an understanding that it's for the, the select spiritual elite. Well, you know what? That's for the pastor. That's for the elders and deacons. Or that's for my life share leader. They can be filled with the Spirit. But what he's saying here, this is in the plural form, is for everybody. No one gets to opt out of this one. No one can take or leave this one. This is for everyone. It's the plural. It's not only plural, but it's also passive. Meaning that it's something that happens to us. It's not something I do. I don't fill myself with the Spirit. It's something that God does to us. So it's in the passive form. But it's also, lastly, in the present tense. It's in the present tense. It's as if we could read this verse that says, be being filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. Now, this is different than what he says in Ephesians 1.13. If you remember that, he says, when we heard and believed the gospel, we were filled and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And that was an experience that happened in the past. When we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, he says, you know what? I, I sealed you with the Holy Spirit. That was a seal I put upon your life. You belong to Christ. And the mark of that is the seal of the Holy Spirit. That happened in the past. That's a one-time event. We've been sealed. But this is different. It's a continuous event. It doesn't happen once. It happens over and over and over again. It's a continuous event in our life. Now, this is what was frustrating for me this week. As I began to think about this verse, I thought, God, how can you command something that has to happen to us? How can you command something that I don't necessarily have control over? I mean, it's up to the Lord to give us the Holy Spirit. And because it's in the passive, it's something that happens to us. How can you command that to happen to me if I don't have control over that? Do you hear you know what I'm saying? There's a sense in which I'm a little bit like, God, how can you do that? How can you tell me to be filled when I don't have control over the Holy Spirit to decide to fill me in the first place? And so I, I wrestled that. I've been wrestling with that this week. Like, God, how can this work? How can you command something that I don't have any control over? How can you ask me to do this? Command this. It's an imperative. He can say this because the promise of the Holy Spirit is a blood-bought promise of Jesus Christ. When he gave his life on the cross and made himself available to us through the cross, through his death and resurrection for our sins, it says, with that, I purchase for you myself to give you my spirit, give you myself. That's the work of Almighty God. We can have confidence in this because Jesus has paid for it. I think of it like this. If we sat down at a table and Michelle just made a beautiful meal and it's, the table is laid and just the aroma 
and, and just the, the waiting for it to eat. And me and Michelle and the kids all sit down around the table. And I say, guys, it is time to eat. John Michael, I want you to dig into this food and I want you to eat it. Now, he, if he looked at me and said, Dad, are you saying you want me to go down the street to Thornton's and grab the two-for-one hot dog special? I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand, son. The food is on the table. I've already, it's already been bought for you. It's been provided for you. It's sitting in front of you. We've, Michelle has done the work to, to prepare it for you. It's already on the table. You don't have to go anywhere else to get it. In the same way, it's, we sit down at the table and the Lord says, go ahead, take and eat. I provide it for you and it's been provided for you by my son, Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection. And now you can take and eat because I have done all that it takes to provide for you. Not on your own. You didn't, pre- you didn't prepare the meal. You didn't do any of the work. You didn't buy it. You just got to enjoy it. Got to take it. And he makes this invitation to come and drink from the living water. It says in Luke 11 that the Father gives the Holy Spirit to all who ask him. We're not persuading God to do something he doesn't want to do. This is not a, Lord, please give me the Holy Spirit because I don't think you want to give it to me. This is Almighty God giving to us what he delights to do. Now, in verse 18, he continues on with the pattern of don't be drunk, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's here's where this verse takes a little turn because in the previous verses that he talks about in the last half of Ephesians 4 and in the beginning of chapter 5 of Ephesians, he gives a lot of like, don't do this, but instead do this, right? Don't let falsehood be on your lips. Instead, tell the truth, right? Be kind and compassionate. Forgive others. Don't be angry at them. Um, he goes on, let there be no sexual morality among you. And he just, there's all these, not this, but this. And so when he talk, begins to talk about being drunk with wine, he's not talking only about wine. Because you can read this and think, well, he's talking about wine, right? Don't get drunk with wine. That means I can get drunk with beer. Because he didn't say anything about beer. Or I can get drunk with hard alcohol. Because guess what? He didn't say anything about vodka, okay? I mean, we're, we're, we're good here, right? What he's saying here. And if he was only talking about alcohol, if that was purely what he was talking about, if it was, his concern was only about getting drunk, which he is concerned about getting drunk. It's clear from here and the rest of Scripture, drunkenness is not what God allows in his, in, his, in his family. He would have said, don't get drunk, but instead stay sober. That's, what the, that's how it would have went if we were only talking about drunkenness with wine, right? But here he says, don't get drunk, which is debauchery, which is excessive indulgent in sensual pleasure. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. He's doing a couple things here. He's making a presumption of availability. He's saying, look, wine and alcohol is available to you, but the Spirit is just as available. This isn't hard to get. He says, this is just as available. It's a presumption of availability. Both are available. And I believe in this instance, what he begins to talk about in, 
when he uses the word wine, is anything that makes me feel better for a moment that I have turned to instead of God. Anything that makes me feel better for a moment that I turn to instead of Almighty God. Jeremiah 2.13 says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He says we've done two things. We've turned from things, we have turned to things like alcohol to find our pleasure in life. And it doesn't have to be alcohol. There's a number of things that we turn to to find pleasure in life in apart from Christ. There's a couple of things I have here that spin into these uh, So what do we turn to? It's different for everybody. It could be a computer screen. Some people here are hooked on pornography or even TV or movies. And you feel like, you know what? When I need, when I need to find life and pleasure and fulfillment, you know what? I, I, I go to the computer. That is where I can get my quick fix. That's where I can feel Alive again. That's where I'm going to go to. I'm going to turn to these things. I'm not going to turn to the Lord. So it could be a computer screen. It could be a TV. It could be even a phone. As silly as that sounds, this could be your little pocket God. Okay? You have 15 minutes to kill. Guess what? I'm checking the internet. I'm, I'm checking my, my mail. I'm looking at the weather. I'm, I mean, that, that's what I turn to. That's where I find satisfaction in. I can know everything I can get my hands on. Maybe for some of you, it's shopping, right? You need a quick fix? Well, go shopping. It'll make you feel better. You can buy some stuff. You don't even have to have money to do it. You can just put on the credit card. It's easy. Get a quick fix. Hey, you know what? I'm lonely. I'm bored. I'm going to go shopping. For other people, this is my clergy pass to the community hospital, okay, I can go places that you cannot go. I can be there at hours that you cannot be there. For the rest of you, you have to park far away. I get to park really close. This is my precious. This is my badge. I can do things that you cannot do. You know what? For some of us, it's a job. We find our satisfaction from how much we make, the power we hold, the recognition it brings us. And we find a little bit of excitement in that. So we turn to anything before we turn to God. But because of Jesus Christ and His giving His life for us on the cross for our sins, we have the opportunity for relationship with him. He says, don't turn to these things. By my grace, I will give you the power to turn towards me and find your hope and fulfillment in me, not in anything else. It's not bad to have a computer 
or a phone or a job or to have, be able to shop. Those things aren't evil in and of themselves. You know what? But those things can so quickly turn us away from God. When we use those things as a substitute God, those things turn us away from Jesus. But he says, you know what? We need to turn to Almighty God for the promise of the Holy Spirit that's been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, then how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? If we're not to fill our lives with these things, then how are we to fill our lives with the Holy Spirit? What does that look like for us? I've got a couple things, and, and this is all in the context of realizing that Almighty God gives us the desire for Himself. That if you have any desire for God, it came from God, and is God's work in you. So as we say these things, it's with the understanding that God is, is putting that desire in your heart. The fact that you're here today, that is a work of God in your life. The fact that you are, we're reading from the word, that's God's work in us as a church. And so I'm going to say these things, but it's all in the context of what Christ has done for us and Christ empowering us, Christ giving us these desires. So number one, how we receive the filling? How are we passively engaged in this? Number one, we ask for it. Like Jesus says in Luke 11, the Father gives good gifts to those who ask. He says he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's not, he's not begrudgingly giving the Holy Spirit. He loves to give good gifts to his kids. And he says, this is a good gift. You're asking for a good thing. So we ask for it by God's grace. Number two, by God's grace, we turn away from that which grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit. As we walk in obedience to Jesus by the power of God, we walk in obedience. It pleases God. It does not quench the Spirit. He says, look, when we walk in disobedience, that grieves the Holy Spirit, like we saw in chapter 4. So there's a grieving of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a quenching of the Holy Spirit in how we live our lives. We turn to these things for our joy. It grieves the Holy Spirit. He says, don't turn to those things. There's no life in those things. There's no lasting pleasure in those things. Our life is found in Christ. Number three, we let the word of God dwell in us. This is interesting. There's a parallel passage in Colossians 3, 16 and 17 that I want to look at right now because what Paul is saying to the Ephesians church is the same thing pretty much as what he was saying to the Colossian church. And Ephesians and Colossians were writ, written at about the same time and they were both delivered by the same guy on his trip to dropping it off in, Ephes in the Ephesian church, continuing on and going over to the Colossian church. And he says just about the exact same thing and he's looking at what's the effect of both. This is what he writes in Ephesians 5. He says, be filled Walk not as unwise, but as wise, addressing one another. But look what he says in Colossians 3. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and songs of thankfulness in our hearts towards God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so it's almost an identical passage, but in the passage in Colossians, he's using the word of God. And so the word of God and the spirit of God, there's no, there's no dichotomy there. There's no separation between the two. The two go hand in hand. You cannot separate the word of God and the spirit of God. They always go hand in hand. So as we walk in obedience to the spirit of God, we walk in obedience to the word of God. As we walk in obedience to the word of God, we are walking in obedience to the spirit. Did I say a spirit of God? Word of God? Okay. We're walking in obedience. And so in this passage, we can see, man, this is important. We fill our lives with the word of God. And God fills us with his spirit. This isn't something we get to later. This is an imperative for our church. We want to see the community and life of God in our church. It's not going to come about because we try so hard. Because we're just so morally superior to everybody else. We've got it nailed down. This is a work of God in our midst. This is almighty God filling and dwelling in us and, and, and empowering us and, li- and giving us the desire to do this. This is the work of Almighty God. And if we want to see these things happen in our church, it has got to come with a complete dependence upon God, realizing that all these things come from the Lord, not from us or us trying harder. Now, what I want to look at quickly, I know time is running short, what I want to look at quickly is what is the effect of the filling of the Holy Spirit, okay? We're going to look at, in a couple weeks, we're going to look at more about the Holy Spirit, like I said earlier, and we're going to talk more in depth with this. So this is just a small sample of the effect of the filling of the Holy Spirit, but this is what he says in Ephesians 19-21. through 21. And summing this up, I summed up in three ways. The effect and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our church, in our community, is this. Joyful singing, giving thanks, and submitting to one another. There is joyful singing to God and to one another. And this is in the context of corporate worship. That he's addressing the church. And we minister the life of God to one another as we lift our voices to the Lord. Guys, it is hard. when he, In this passage, he talks about making melody in your heart to the Lord and to others. That's hard to do with a frown on your face. There is, an, there is an, an evidence of joy in our lives when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. An undeniable joy that comes from Almighty God filling us. They can't be faked or manufactured in our own selves. It's a mark of joy. And it's marked by joyful singing. I was sitting next to a kid. We had a prayer meeting this Wednesday, this past Wednesday here in this, in this room. And we had about 50 high school students on this side of the room. And we had about 20 Mercy Hill people on this side of the room. And the high school group was leading worship. And we were raising our hands and calling out to God together. And it was awesome. But there's this kid sitting next to me, this eighth grader, who's going to be a freshman, Matt Harnish. And as we were singing, he was hands raised, calling out to God, worshiping with all of his heart. And man, it, it was I was ministered to. I was blessed. It was so good to see someone just just calling out to the Lord. We don't realize the opportunity we have to minister to one another in our corporate worship. We worship God, but 
in the midst of that, God is ministering to, to each other, using us, all of us. And so, man, it did my heart good. We had a time of prayer for one another. I leaned over and said, Matt, you know, we've got, there's going to be, be a couple prayers that we're going to pray for each other. And we have to, we're going to go downstairs and pray more for our church. But, Matt, what I want you to do when you pray, I want you to pray loud. And this kid went up and he, he prayed for our church. He was praying for you. And it was a blessing. I thought, man, here's an eighth grader praying for us. In front of all his friends, in front of all these high school students who are older and cooler and, and, and tougher than him, an eighth grader coming in, probably terrified, but nonetheless calling out to God for us. Man, I was blessed. That's the work of the Lord. This doesn't happen. You can somehow stumble upon that. That's the work of God in his life to do that. That's an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we give thanks. We talked about that last week, about giving thanks to the Lord. That is as well an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Number three, we submit to one another. This is, this is a military term in the Greek that means to fall or to line up under. And so there's a way in which we desire to maintain the unity of our church by serving and laying our lives down for each other. I would just encourage you, even consider now, has, has your desire, as you, as you attend here, as this is your, if this is your home, do you come with an expectation that, Lord Jesus, I want to serve other people? God, what can I do to serve? Give me something to do. Let me ask, how can I serve you? What can I do? Can I come over? Can I help you? Can, whatever it is, that's the work of the Lord. We've got people that, like Elizabeth Steele and, and other people who come into our lives and say, hey, look, I'll come over and babysit, clean your house. Guys, that's the work of the Lord. That's an evidence of the Spirit in their lives doing those things. And it's the way in which we keep unity. Well, guys, if we're, if we're laying our lives down for each other and we're serving one another, there is going to be a unity in that. It's hard to have disunity when we're all laying our lives down for each other. It's hard to do. There is a unity that comes about by the filling of the Spirit in our lives. And so I want to close by saying this. Jesus on the cross made himself available to us. And so we have the opportunity to ask him for more of himself. Yes, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit at conversion. We gave our lives to Christ. But there is a continual filling of the Spirit in our lives that happens that we need to ask for. And I believe this morning is an opportunity for us as we take communion to consider, Lord Jesus, is there this evidence in my life? When we come together corporately, are you singing joyfully? Is there an overflow in your life that just can't be contained? That I'm just singing melody to the Lord. Because I just can't help myself. Is there a, a, a thankfulness in your life that is, is a mark of your life that people say, man, that person's so thankful. Is the desire of your heart to serve and to submit yourselves to each other? This is a challenge for me. I, I read this and think, man, I don't line up here. I need, I need more of the Lord. I need more of His Spirit to fill me to do this. Because I can't do it on my own. 
I can res- I just need to stand before God and say, God, fill me. Give me more of yourself. Man, I, I leak. I, I get drained out. I become tired. I need you to work in my life. So we're going to take communion, and Tim's going to lead us in that. What I want to do is, after the service, be available, be available to you to say, if you feel like, man, this is not an evidence of my life. I see this in part, but I don't see This isn't the mark of my life. Like Jesus says, the Father loves to give good gifts to his children. And he gives the Holy Spirit to all who ask. That we'd have opportunity to pray. I will pray for you. Tim can pray for you. And we'll ask the Lord together for more of the Lord. Because I believe he loves to give, like I said, his children good things. And it's a good thing to ask the Lord for more of himself. It's not, he won't begrudgingly give that. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for Jesus Christ and the cross, which he has made himself available to us, that we can come before you and ask for more of you and the person of the Holy Spirit and believe, Lord, that you will fill us with your spirit. Lord, we turn away from the things that, that promise to bring life and pleasure and joy, but hold no life and joy and pleasure in themselves. Lord, we ask you for more of you. Lord, I pray that you would bring appropriate conviction in our lives to where we have sought other things and not you. Where we have gone to the broken cisterns to find, find life where there is no life. And I pray that you would give us the grace to repent to receive more of you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.